All right. Welcome back to the show. This is Brad. For all my loyal, long-time listeners, love you folks. Thanks for listening to the show, subscribing, sending me emails, and uh, telling me about all the cool stuff you're up to, as well, as well as sharing a lot of the issues that you guys have been going through. I get a lot of people asking about how to get clients, how to use Facebook advertising, how to you know, improve their sales and get more traffic to their websites, all things that I cover on the show in a lot of detail and all things that I actually can help you out. If you are the least bit interested, uh, send me that an, an email with a challenge you're having to ask Brad at baconwrappedbusiness.com. More than happy to see if there's something that I can do for you. And if there is, uh, maybe there's a chance that we can partner up or work together. You never really know. That's one of the things I love about doing this show is I meet some of the coolest people. One of the other things I love about this show is I get to pick the brains of people that I want to talk to about topics that I'm really, really curious about. In the past, I've told you that um, I like to think of you, my listener, as a fly on the wall with me having conversations about topics I love with people I love to talk to. And today is going to be exactly that. I've invited a good friend of mine named David Metzler on the show. And he's here in San Diego. He is, um, uh, he and I met in a mastermind together and we see each other once a month and talk business. And he's always impressed me and made me feel like, okay, this guy's playing, uh, big boy game. He's raised like over $20 million of venture capital, been involved in nearly $8 million of business development. Uh, you know, not too long ago, he's founded tech startup. He's been a, a serial entrepreneur. He's that guy that uh, is not screwing around. He takes big risks. He may share with you, they don't always work out, but a lot of times through the failures, you find um, amazing insight and success. And he has been recently diving into the world of crowdfunding businesses. This is a brand new uh, trend. And I'm not talking about Kickstarter. I'm not talking about uh, crowdfunding campaigns like this. I'm talking about crowdfunding uh, like for equity. And uh, I'll have David explain why this is so brand new, cutting edge. But David is already one of the leading experts in the entire field, and he's doing some amazing things. In fact, when we were sitting at a mastermind the other night, he was explaining this. I knew just enough to say, David, I got to have you on the show because I want to know a lot more about this. I see tremendous opportunities. I think my audience would love it. That's you guys. And um, I'm going to apologize now if some of the stuff we talk about is complex or over your head. I'll try to keep it kind of simple because I want to make sure I understand it. But once more, you are eavesdropping on a conversation that David and I would have had over beers or coffee or something anyway. Now, without further ado, David, welcome to Bacon Rat Business. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Brad. It's been a pleasure knowing you over the last uh, several years and having opportunities to work together on different adventures and looking into different opportunities. And as you know, uh, we've also played in different uh, categories, you and the internet marketing being an expert in that space and me over on the funding and venture side. So my expertise being in creating businesses that scale, uh, you know, raising capital and bringing companies out to market. As you know, my, my career started as an investment banker. So I started as an investment banker bringing companies in the middle market space, 500 million to a billion dollars of market cap. 
and taking them out to public offerings and or leverage finance and leverage finance buyouts. So that was my background. I did that in New York for five years. Mm-hmm. I had an opportunity to really gain the expertise necessary to see the fundamentals of what goes on behind the scenes and how to take these companies, frame them for a positioning necessary to go out and get the capital necessary to grow or sell their company. So that was my background, a fundamental basis of knowledge that was really critical to understand what goes on for financing companies and the backbone of finance for uh, operations that most companies don't ever get to see, but the bigger ones do. And so that was where I really learned everything I know. I actually took out $626 million worth of advisory assignments. So that's capital that we raised directly and over $2 billion of M&A assignments. Well, now you're, just, now you're just showing off. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's we've got to see everything from small cap companies, you know, $100 million where we would sell them to larger strategic envir- advisors and or uh, buyers, and or we would take companies out public naturally. $500 plus million or large market cap companies would be buying those. So an opportunity to get my fundamentals learned at that element of my business career. And then from there went into venture capital. So as a venture capitalist here in San Diego, we had a $600 million uh, fund. We invested in technology companies within Southern California. Operating thesis was there's clearly not enough capital down here. All the capital is up in Silicon Valley. How do we add value to entrepreneurs down here in the startup phases? So we would invest specifically in series A or series B companies, which is usually a sweet spot of $5 million into a company. We would invest those companies over the life cycle of five to seven years. We would return our capital back to our limited partners, our LP. And we've done that through three different funds. That fund was called Mission Ventures. And so that gave me an opportunity to get close to entrepreneurs, seeing what makes successful entrepreneurs and how to scale those businesses at a, at a startup phase and or an earlier phase towards what I had been doing as an investment banker. So naturally, as I got closer to the entrepreneurs, and uh, Brad, you can relate to this, I fell in love with those entrepreneurs and their desire to go out and change the world. Mm -hmm. And that is a very contagious desire because, you know, anyone can create a company in a widget, but the desire to go out and make the world a little bit better is left to a select few of people that Mm -hmm. value the desire to make their lives count. Yep. Yep. So through that process, I actually got into, uh, you know, entrepreneurs and seeing what was successful for them, I caught the bug myself. And so what's called in venture capital world is entrepreneur in residence. Actually became an entrepreneur in residence at the VC fund that I was working, where they take smart people, bring them into their universe and, and trust the fact that they're going to create something about it. So that's what I became an entrepreneur in residence and subsequently started my first company, that was almost nine years ago in the healthcare space. And so we created a healthcare platform similar to Facebook, a social network that we sold into insurance companies and it allowed for them to create communities that would network them together. And by doing that, you can actually lower the cost. So if you think about it, a bunch of people that had alcohol or drug problems or had chronic cancer problems or diabetes, if you put them into a community, we could actually lower the cost of treating those people. And so we raised $16 million for that company through venture capital and also angel dollars. So $2 million worth of angel dollars and essentially $14 million worth of venture capital dollars. We were able to then to return that back to our investors, sold it, that company to an insurance company out of Dallas, Texas. And it was a first operating company that I had. I ran that for 
I guess, seven years as the CEO and got a chance to work with on my board four billionaires that had created uh, billion dollar companies prior to joining my board. Wow. One of which was the founder of WebMD. Hmm. He then subsequently took over uh, and ran the company for the last three years and took it to an exit for me. So got an opportunity to see firsthand what these entrepreneurs go through. And it's a very different experience when you're running a company than when you're investing in a company. So I got to see what it takes to actually build up management teams that scale, how to take that company from zero in revenue up to multiple millions in revenue, and actually how to create the business development relationships and funding structures necessary to get that exit to a bigger player. That's Yeah, dude. <laughs> it's like I'm kind of speechless on that stuff. Like that. It, I, it makes me feel like I'm playing entrepreneur, right? But it's true. It's like th- that is the big boy business of people raising millions and millions of dollars, building major enterprises. And I love the fact that you've been a part of that. And I know that your that, that your recent uh, venture, Wildfire, which started off as Fit In, um, it was. Uh, and I don't want to go into too, too too much trouble with this, but I know that it was a, a really exciting venture that you had going and for one reason or another it um folded uh how long ago well say yeah say say uh say it the way it was it was a fairly epic fail uh so you know if you're gonna fail though do it well i mean it it depends on how you look at fail the company itself wasn't successful in terms of it being able to get to the next exit but we raised four million dollars worth of capital for that company in angel dollars yeah and we're able to grow it in a year from zero to two and a half million dollar run rate. Um, and that two and a half million dollar run rate at the end of that first year of sales, we were adding a hundred K of revenue a month. So we had a tremendous amount of growth potential. We had spread throughout Southern California, had 450 studios to boil it down in a nutshell. It was really a company that was pretty cool. You could actually use our app like Uber and drop into any yoga, Pilates, spinning CrossFit studio. So brilliant idea. We were competing against a company out of New York called ClassPass. They're a $400 million company, uh, Google Ventures back then. And so we were on a pretty strong roller coaster and, and rocket ship. And, you know, you think you learn everything you can and then you learn something new. And I was actually just talking to a very successful entrepreneur about this this morning for breakfast. And, you know, I've been an investment banker, a venture capitalist, and have raised a ton of money for my own companies. And yet here I am on the other side of this, uh, you know, failure. And what I learned out of that was something I should have known before, which is you always want to shop a deal. You always want to have as many sources of revenue potential and also a venture capital and or funding potential as possible. So we had a private equity firm that came in about a year ago today and swooped us up, preemptively took us out of the market, locked us up into a term sheet. And then Subsequently, last minute, two days before they were going to close, hundred hours worth of documents done. They ended up saying, calling my board, saying, "We're not going to invest. We're not going to move forward at this time. We're an investment real estate company. We're trying to be a technology private equity company, but this is too new and too soon for us." And so, I should have known better. I should have known that you always want to have multiple choices to choose from. And having shopped that deal, I would have had options to choose from all the best VCs up in the Bay Area. Yeah, but the yeah. valuation was so great. I mean, they gave us a valuation that was unbelievable in a $12.5 million round. You know, you take what you can and it was, you know, easy capital for us. And yeah, yeah. and the subsequent learning was always have a, you know, a pipeline of opportunities to take to. Yeah. I mean, there there's an adage that I live by, which is there is no such thing as failure, only feedback. 
Like, huh. you know, like there is no failure. You either, you either earn or you learn. Hmm. Right. And, yeah. you know, sometimes you do both, <laughs> ideally, <laughs> but, well, I um, and, and I, and I, and I moved on to something better, which is always uh, the, the uh, lesson. And now, you know, that was such a painful reality for me that it really drove me to wanting to go out and help other entrepreneurs never have to go through what I just went through as they raise capital. Right. In other words, so many entrepreneurs have these ideas and so many of them are fundamentally great ideas and products that deserve capital. And if I could keep even just one more person from having to go through what I went through and learning and that pain, then that would be a worthwhile mission. And that's really where I, I looked at Serenity Ventures as a vehicle and knowing that I've, you know, $626 million worth of, uh, you know, advisory investment banking assignments, $38 million of invested dollars into other companies and raising over $30 million myself. I'm like, how do I apply those stats and those experiences to make sure no one ever has to go through what I went through again? Absolutely. And where, where do I get them to the capital sources that they need to yep. get the money that they need to take their companies to the next level and doing it in a way where there's transparency and they don't have to end up, you know, with a rug pulled out underneath them because they were dealing with somebody that, that wasn't prepared to do something like in our case. Absolutely. So that is a perfect segue into the real heart of today's topic. And it's what we were discussing recently. It's what Serenity Ventures is all about. And I'm going to be listening to this and I want my audience to listen to it like this too. I'm listening for the opportunity um, because this is so new. It is You'll, you'll probably agree it's the Wild West right now. I think you even use that. Absolutely. And um, nobody nobody out there quite has it totally figured out because it is, I mean, probably, what, weeks or a month old, really, although it's been building up for a little while. But um, I want to talk about, in somewhat basic terms, what is going on right now as far as, you know, this was because of the Jobs Act that was, you know, signed by Obama uh, not too long ago and what just went into effect right now. So let's start off with the basics of what crowdfunding is from your definition. Yeah. So I started looking after this last company um, concluded at where do I want to go next? And as I mentioned, I looked at the stats of what I've done successfully and realized that I'm, I'm fantastic at helping companies raise capital. Why don't I apply myself there and, and really realizing where is the opportunity? What was passed in 2012 Actually, April 5th of 2012 was a fundamental shift in capital that's probably not happened since Silicon Valley was first formed. And the reason I say it's that big is because the laws have been such that you cannot go out and solicit a security, meaning an investment from the general public. That's been in effect since 1934 when the uh, stock market crashed, the Great Depression came on, and laws were put in place to make sure people didn't get hurt again. Mm -hmm. And because of that, since 1934, people can't go out and solicit a general security unless you're an accredited investor, meaning that you meet certain standards that are set forth by policymakers that say that you meet a certain set of net worth standards that allow for you to be a sophisticated enough investor and or have enough capital that you're not going to be um, in a situation where the investment itself, if it didn't come to a success, would would actually break the bank. Right. So, so, so give me an even more layman's example of the like that kind of solicitation. Like you for, and I know this, but I just want to make sure that everybody else is following that you can't just do an ad to say, "Hey, we've got a new company. Come invest in our company." 
You can't yeah. do that. Come buy our stock. Uh, and, and it's actually not as much to do with public, although it, it's private offerings, right? It's raising money for a company. Right. So uh, just to give you the actual standards, an accredited investor is someone that has a net worth of a million dollars, excluding the value of their primary residence and have an income of at least $200,000. Um, so that's what it defines an accredited investor. Now, here's the tricky part. I don't know if you're an accredited investor or not, right? So if I go to you without having an idea of that actual knowledge basis and I ask you to invest in my startup company, that's a security that I'm asking you to invest in. And to send that off to you without you being an accredited investor is actually a violation of current standard laws. And so that's the that's the concept that you're dealing with. So I've created a bunch of different companies and helped fundraise them. And every time you send that off, the investment presentation to somebody, you have to realize that they're an accredited investor and that they are um, meeting those standards. Otherwise, you violated current law and you're soliciting an investment or security. And that is an actual felony. So, um, felony. Right. Okay, cool. So, so you want to make sure that you're, you're, you're covered in those things because they're very serious about that. Right. So, so what this means is that up until now, and then we'll talk about exactly what's changed up until now. Yeah. Raising capital, you had to have good connections with rich people and you had to follow a lot of stringent guidelines and security. I'm sorry, and protocols to raise money for your business. Right. You just you nailed it. And that's the fundamental shift of why it's so powerful of what we're talking about here today is in 2012, the laws began to change whereby uh, that was no longer the case. And so there's certain protections and provisions that we're going to go through right now that I'll walk you through on how to do this, that, that keep the guidelines and make it legal. But the general premise that we're talking about here is that law allowed for others to invest that are no longer accredited investors. So think about what we're talking about. You're an internet marketing guy. If I want to take a, a company out and bring that through Facebook, through LinkedIn, through any of these mechanisms, I don't know if I'm soliciting that to someone that's accredited or non-accredited. So right. I can actually publish that because I don't have actual documentation that everyone that's going to see that advertisement is an accredited investor. That's how it used to be. So hence the reason you'd only be able to show it to your rich uncle, right? That you knew was a rich uncle that could give you some money. And that's about it, right? So if you didn't have access to those, you know, angel networks, to those large... Yeah, your SOL. You just couldn't go out and solicit. The average person wouldn't have access to those VCs like I do or those those angel groups like I do. And so you're stuck in a position that no matter how good your idea is, you don't have anywhere to take it out to get the funding necessary. Right. So how has that changed? So that changed in 2012 uh, and uh, specifically in 2014... Uh, where they, they have allowed for a process to happen, what's called a Regulation A offering. Um, and that's part of what's called Title Four of the JOBS Act. So I mentioned the JOBS Act passed in 2012 after a significant push through Congress and a lot of educated players really helping others to understand that this is something that's needed and the market's ready for it and that uh, through crowd offerings, this could be done legally. So they pushed this through in 2012. In 2014, what I'm specializing in, which is Title Four of the Jobs Act or Regulation A offerings, became legal where you can actually, they call them mini IPO. So you can raise up to $50 million from both accredited and non-accredited investors. And that has allowed for a process where you can actually 
go out through Facebook and LinkedIn and, and Twitter and solicit an investment for a company that you're raising money for and get people to actually say, you know what, I like that product. I like the offering. I'm going to actually put money into that company and buy a small piece or a large piece of that company. So that only happens. I want to be really clear on this is the regulation A offering, the way that they're, they're making sure there's no fraud in this is the SA, SEC says, Look, if you will go through and file a process with us, which takes about three to four months, we'll, we'll go through and review your offering, all the different pieces of your company. We'll review your financials, we'll review every part of it to make sure there's no fraud. And once they approve that, which, like I said, it takes about three to four months, once that's approved, then you essentially have a license to go out and offer it to both people that have accredited status and also non-accredited status. And now a non-accredited investor, someone that you might see on a Facebook advertising your friends, your 200 plus friends that you have on average in your Facebook network, those people can now invest in a company that you own um, as long as the SEC is filed through that process. Okay. So that's one of the four different types. And I'll talk about that one. And I'm also going to talk about Title Three, which just you were absolutely right past May 16th of this last year, which allows for you to raise up to a million dollars, a smaller offering, but with very little existing paperwork. So okay. the way the way Wait, before comes- before you jump into that, let me yeah. just recap here. So up until up until recently, 2000, like really 14, I guess you couldn't um, you couldn't solicit the general public or people you didn't really know or non-accredited investors for funds. Now you can do what you refer to as kind of a, or what they refer to as a mini initial public offering up to 50 million dollars, both from accredited and non-accredited investors. But you have to go through a three to four month process whereby is it the SEC mm-hmm. reviews everything, filters out all the scammy fraudsters? Yeah. That, if you're going to raise $50 million, the large offerings, you have to go through an SEC filing. Yep. That's the thing that, you know, the bigger companies that generally speaking have revenue yep. are going to actively pursue because it's a much more streamlined process than going through a venture capitalist. Yeah. Now, or going public and doing that. Now, this is not them going public, right? No, it's not going public. Matter of fact, that's one of the really strong benefits is when you go public, you have all the different Mm -hmm. um, regulations that you have to stay compliant to. It's much less um, uh, regulated in terms of ongoing uh, filings and documentation that's necessary for a company. So it's very uh, interesting for average companies to go through because they don't have to go through and spend the, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to file all the re- necessary paperwork after they go through this process. It's a fairly easy process to go through. But keep in mind, this is going to be for your listeners that are active in business that have a existing business that's probably doing significant revenue. What do you that think are- significant revenue is? Yeah, I mean, anywhere between, you know, a million to $10 million. But, you know, I mean, that some of it is there's one that's out right now in the virtual reality space that has $2 million of, uh, of addition uh, of bookings pre-booked for their product. And that mm-hmm. doesn't actually have zero of revenue currently, but they have a lot of inventory backlog for that existing product. So okay. it could be in that state of uh, condition. Now, if you're raising less money... And you're, let's say you want a dry cleaning business or you want to start up a, a normal business and you only want to raise up to a million dollars. This is where it gets really interesting. This is title three, right? This is title three. And this is where the average companies 
uh, can come out and go out through their existing network of people with about $10,000 worth of documentation and uh, including your audits, you can be out and running and raise up to a million dollars from existing people in your network. Okay, so this is the this is the cool stuff I want to talk about, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the and you're probably familiar the two frames of ref of perspective or whatever that I'm listening with is one how could I potentially like in any ventures that I'm involved with I want to understand it so I'm like oh crap I have access to funds that I never knew I thought I would but then I also want to talk to you about opportunities that maybe even you and I would have about you know, being a marketing bench, being something that is uh, useful in helping these companies, because that's the other thing we were talking about. You said, look, as you guys as internet marketers and you guys with skill helping a company grow or market this stuff, that's really interesting to me as well. So I just wanted to let you know the two the two ears I'll be listening with here. Well, you, you just touched on what I'm fascinated about with this thing and why I think it's so powerful specifically is this, which is... When you start thinking about the idea of people and products becoming one and the same with ownership, you're now thinking about the people that are buying into your company are actually becoming your brand advocates. And that's incredibly powerful for you, right? So now if I have a thousand people that are, that are owners in my company, they actually not only believe in my product, but they actually own part of the company. So they're out telling all of their friends at dinner conversations and at lunches and everywhere they go about this exciting product that they have that they are a big evangelist for and that they can actually go out and tell people about and actually get them involved into buying your product or even wanting to maybe get involved in investing in your company. So okay. it becomes a very word of mouth uh, operation for you in a very strong way to combine your product offering with taking it out and getting people to buy it. Cool. So let's now talk about this in real world terms. Um, a lot of my listeners know that my wife and I started a company, uh, a coffee business, Stiletto mm-hmm. Coffee, marketed towards women, stilettocoffee.com for all mm-hmm. your coffee needs. Um, so we have got, yeah, it's a coffee company, very focused on professional driven women, etc. So we, we've identified a you know, a pocket of people. And as you talk about, like, we're starting to build out brand advocates, et cetera, et cetera. This is highly interesting to me. And whether or not I decide to do anything like this, because I don't know if I need to raise that money, let's use that as an example and explaining how I would go about it first. Yeah. So the first thing to decide is, hey, I, I need capital and for what purposes, right? So once you figure out that your capital is going to be, let's just say, for growth purposes or for marketing purposes or or for scaling and, and buying inventory, right? Any of those reasons would be part of why you would decide to go out and get capital. So once you figured out that you need capital and how much, the other next question you're going to ask yourself is, um, what what type of exit are you going to be offering, right? So this is really interesting for people that and companies that are going to have an exit potential at some point. So for you, um, Brad, we already have talked about this. There's already people that would want to buy your company, right? Because it's a coffee company. There's synergies with their existing ones. You can imagine Bulletproof coming in and saying, look. Bulletproof doesn't have, Dave doesn't have enough money. I want Pete's to come in and buy it. (laughs) So Starbucks has been sniffing around your, your company. So you know that there's an exit for your company eventually, because if you're offering up a, an opportunity to buy into your company. What people really want to know is, 
where is it going to get their money out? And usually these are going to be coming out when someone buys your company, right? So in your case, you have a perfect scenario for this because you have people that like your product and you also have people that will eventually want to buy your product in a very acquisitive marketplace, right? Mm -hmm. Starbucks does buy up a lot of businesses in that space. Yeah, so does Coca-Cola. So... Uh, you would look at that and say, okay, those two criteria have been met, right? I know that I need capital. I know I have an exit for people that would be investing in mine. And I also realize that I have an audience of both, you know, some of which are accredited investors, but some of which are non-accredited investors. And so I can take that audience for all those women that like your product, like what they stand for in your brand, because your brand stands for women empowerment, which I personally think is an awesome cause. And the fact that you're giving a, a piece of your proceeds away to a charity, those things are, are something that is very sexy for people to want to come in and get involved in because it's the type of company that people really can get behind and believe in. Yep. So you're meeting all of these criteria that make for a company to be an interesting investment capability, right? And so once you look at that, you now know that you would want to come in and essentially get um, the, the pieces in place for you to run, raise money. And let's just say that you're raising a half a million dollars right now, right? And you know that most of your people are non-accredited investors. Mm-hmm. And these are people that don't meet that 250 plus uh, standard. What they can invest into your company, and this is really important, is uh, $2,000 or 5% of their earnings, right? So if someone is making $40,000, they can invest 5% of their earnings, which is $2,000. And that can scale up to $100,000, of income uh, per year or 10%, whichever is less. So people can actually put into uh, your company, depending on how much they make, if they make $40,000, they can put in $2,000. If they make you know, $100,000, they can put in $10,000. And these are non-accredited investors that believe in your product. They can invest that amount of money into your company per year. So per year, okay, that's good. Per year is part of that that requirement. So so if yeah, is, so the average if yeah, if the average American makes yeah between like forty to sixty thousand dollars. I think it's like even less, like forty. Let's just say fifty thousand. Then they can invest twenty five hundred per year. Yes, cool, exactly. And so that that's an important number to know because the reason those have been set up to be that way is because um, they want to make sure that still average people, Main Street investors is what they're calling them, um, don't end up extending yeah. themselves into something way beyond what they can actually afford to do. So you can only put in that limit per year. To make sure you're protected. Gotcha. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Okay, I'm on the call. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Yeah, uh, sorry. I no worries. Uh, on a call there. And, uh, um, so anyhow, that's the amount of money that could go into a, uh, an offering there. Uh, okay. So let me so. ask a couple questions there now. Um, uh, okay. So I could solicit, let's say I wanted to raise half a million dollars. I could solicit, uh, people to put in at the, at those rates. Now, how does the valuation work? Do I say what the company's valued at? Cool. Yeah, uh, a lot of times it's market rate, but you're choosing that market rate for you and your companies. And and what I would advise for you to think about is finding that that market rate that is actually something that's a, within a standard of um, 
of credibility mm-hmm. and actually something that you think is a fair offering. So if you were to go to your mom or your dad or your friends, what, what would I would offer be, to them? Right. What yes. would be an offering to them? Right. I That's can't say, Hey, I'm making $10,000 a year. It's a $10 million company. Yeah, exactly. It's not right. And yet it could be down the line, but at the current state where it currently is and for this current offering, cause you can do this every year, by the way, um, it is in its format is worth, you know, let's say a hundred thousand dollars. You're making $10,000 a month, right? Cause a, a really good rule of thumb, and this is from Harvard business school. And I really like it as a way to look at it is when you're looking at the value of a company, it's at the total maximum amount that that company can make in earnings throughout the course of its lifetime. That's a great way to value a company. So right now with a 10,000 earning potential, and let's just say that you were over 10 years to run that company, $100,000 might be a pretty good indication of what that total value creation could be for that company. So your enterprise value, your value of your total company might fairly be $100,000, right? So that's a kind of a nice way to look at it. Now, tech companies that tend to run at different multiples, and so they've gotten their valuations and their unicorns, as you, they call them up in Silicon Valley, as a, uh, as a different type of valuation metric. But it's a pretty good rule of thumb to think that whatever your financial number that you're currently making in revenue, if you could take it out several years into the future and figure out what that potential would be over that course of that lifetime, that's a great indication of what a fair bar value is for your company. Okay. Okay. And it's, and it's something that takes, you know, some little bit of work and understanding, working with some experts to kind of figure that best number out. But yeah, obviously you want it to be, to make sense because, um, you know, and I imagine when, like, if I was raising money, I, I mean, you open the book. This is not a, this is not a Kickstarter. This is not a crowdfunding for swag campaign, right? So you have to actually open your books on this. Well, yeah, and that's a great uh, segue into part of what's uh, what's interesting here. So you mentioned that you want to raise up to five hundred thousand. So if your offering is between a hundred thousand and five hundred thousand, you only have to have a, re- a review of your financial statements. And so you could either be at ten thousand dollars of revenue or zero revenue, but you would go to an auditor. They would review your your statements, but it's not even a full audit of your statements. It just has to be a review of your current financials and what your financials are going to be in the future. Okay. Now, if you're going to raise more than a five hundred thousand dollars under Title Three, between five hundred and a million dollars, uh, you actually need to go out and get it those uh, fully audited. It's you know within that ten thousand dollars worth of total legal fees that it's going to cost you to get this thing going. Um, is still within that, that range, but you'll have to, if you're raising a little bit more, get that, uh, audited financial, which adds a little bit more credibility because there's a CPA that's gone through your financial statements and said these are believable and true. Right. But, but then, uh, and on the lower one though, they're still, are they still saying that like, yeah, listen, the business is doing, uh, the business is doing $250,000 this year, whatever it is, the revenue is. I mean, you are providing financial, some financials, or at least a statement to the public who's investing in it. We're right. not investing so blind. The difference between the less than five hundred and more than five thousand uh, five hundred is with uh, you're you're putting the financials up, like you said, under both circumstances. But under the more than five hundred thousand to a million, it's been audited right. by a CPA firm. Okay, cool. Which gives a higher level of credibility to those financials. Right. Uh, and I'm so, trying to dr- draw the distinction between that and like the Indiegogo Kickstarter where it doesn't matter. They're just saying, Hey, give us money for this cool product so that you never need to see their financials. 
Exactly. It's all, it's all based on the fact that you're, you're giving advance money in Kickstarter, uh, against the idea that you're essentially pre-ordering a product, right? Yeah. We follow Eric Reese a lot, right? Yeah. And his stuff on Lean Startup. If you really think about Kickstarter and Indiegogo, what's beautiful about them is he talks about the minimal viable product mm-hmm. of an offering. And it's really in the Kickstarter's case, it's a video, right? You're creating a video of a concept of something that could be built and that would be really cool if it was built and people like it enough to buy into it or not. And mm-hmm. if it, they like it enough to make their standards and they fund it, then you'll go out and build the product and then deliver it to them. But they're pre-buying a product. And so what a great way to test the market reception, but they put it on Kickstarter to see if people will pre-buy it or are interested in it. Absolutely. Not, they won't. Absolutely. Okay, so the basics of this are, yeah, if I want to raise $499,000 or, you know, up to a million dollars, I go through, it cost me, did you say about $10,000 in filing fees? Yeah, and keep in mind, that's going to come down significantly. This is the early gates of this thing. So uh, technology is, is going to continue to bring the legal costs down. Sure. And the CPA auditing cost is going to come down. But right now, assume that if you're going to raise... Uh, and I'll send you a document that gives a quick proxy of all these different types of offerings. So you can put that up wherever you want or have it for your own um, information. But yeah, assume $10,000 for your total document costs if you're going to raise up to a million dollars. And assume if you're going to go after and you're a bigger company with actual financials and you want to do one of these regulation A offerings, what I specialize in, you're going to assume that it's going to be about a $50,000 cost basis for you to file the SEC documents and about three months worth of time frame. Did you, did you say the time frame on the Title III one? And the Title III can be pretty quickly and it's almost instantaneous. Oh, cool. And also, by the way... Um, the regulation D offerings where you're, you're doing the same thing. You can raise up to a million, uh, on that, but that's from accredited investors. That's almost instantaneous and about the same cost point, about $10,000. So the difference is, um, it depends on who your audience is, right? So this is a, a quick way to think about which one would be appropriate for you. The title three is usually good for consumer based products like your coffee business, right? Mm-hmm. Consumers are going to want to buy it because they believe in you. They believe in the brand. They believe in the charities that you're supporting. Whereas think about it like a, what we call in, in finance, a B2B business, a business to business business. Those are not really consumer centric businesses. People don't want to really buy them. They don't understand them. And those are mo- more often than not better off for accredited investors because they understand those types of businesses. Totally. So, so that's a, that's what's called a regulation D offering. But once again, if you have a business to business offering, you could put that up and it's $10,000 worth of cost or less. And you're fundraising up to a million dollars almost instantaneously. Okay. I like it. So now, um, as far as the ability to advertise, like let's say all my filings done, I'm ready. I want to raise money for this. Um, is it like I could literally, do a Facebook ad to say, would you like to own a piece of stiletto coffee? Come here, check it out. So uh, on, on title three, this is where it's helpful to know the nuances of it. Um, what they call is a tombstone. So uh, in finance, I'm familiar with that, but go ahead. And- yeah. A tombstone is usually what a offering perspective is. Um, is what you can technically put up for your thing, but it's not supposed to have a share price listed on it. But it can drive it to a portal, right? So what you're going to end up doing is you're going to put it up on like Seed Invest or WeFund or any of these other portals that are out there. And you could put something that says Stiletto Coffee 
Um, the next thing in coffee, are you interested in investing? And you can have that link to the portal where it shares this, uh, the specifics of the share price. Okay. But you can't actually say on the Facebook ad that this is, you're buying Stiletto coffee for $2.50. No, but on the landing page, you can. Like on the, on the ad, you could just say, yeah, would you like to? Yeah, you can invest in this company. And, and so it's a little ambiguous because a lot of experts are also believing that a tombstone, quote unquote, is not just a static ad where it just says this is what it is. A tombstone, by definition, could also be very easily described as a, uh, a video. That's an offering and a perspective or any of those other things. So this stuff is yet to be determined and how this falls out is going to be uh, depending on how the, the SEC ultimately re- uh, regulates it. What they decided to do right now is leave language like that broad base and see how it plays out and then come back later on and regulate it. You won't get in trouble, I don't think, at this point, if you put up a video and says, you know, Stiletto Coffee is the next thing in coffee. If you want to invest in this thing, here's why you should. We support charities. We're, you know, a woman-centric company. You know, all these different things that make the value proposition there. You probably won't end up in anywhere near any level of, uh, of disclosure that that's going to make them uncomfortable. And that would then drive through clicks to that portal where then they can see the actual share price that you're selling $100,000 worth of your company for a dollar fifty or $2 per share, right? And uh, on the on the actual portals, you can share what your your share price is. Mm-hmm. In the actual offering on Facebook, you cannot, as a general solicitation for Title Three. Yeah, okay. So now it's really important to understand that because Title Three is different, and this is why than Title Four, which is where I specialize in the bigger offerings. The SEC makes it uh, makes it essentially legal for you to share the actual share price if it's a Title Four or uh, these mini IPOs. Because they certified your offering, mm. right? So if you go through that three months and fifty thousand dollars worth of process, they then have gotten out of all the fraudulent basis, so they don't feel like there's any risk for an investor to come into it, and so they've certified it. And by doing that, you can actually share on Facebook. Like I saw one on Friday night that popped up in my ad for a virtual company, virtual reality company that says invested in the next thing in virtual reality, $2.33 per share, click through. So they were actually saying the price per share on the Facebook ad. Oh, it's fascinating. I mean, I'll send you, I'll send you a thing and uh, a picture. I snapshot it on my phone. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, this is the, this is the new thing. I mean, it is really going to be that level because once again, the value proposition is people are going to like products and why not, if I'm going to buy that product, why not own a piece of the company? It makes sense. Oh, ab- yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's fun to be in the beginning now before <laughs> somebody gets in, in there and screws it up for everybody else. But, um, okay. So recapping this part, file my, pa- I want to raise between one and a million dollars, file my $10,000 paperwork. If I want to go up to like 499,000, um, it's going to be a lot quicker. 500 to a million audited review. Then my tombstone is in essence the, especially if it's, you know, for title three, I'm just telling people that, um, Hey, you, you, there is an opportunity to invest. And then that takes them over to a play page on my website or a portal where it explains all the particulars. Mm-hmm. And then people can decide, Hey, I'm in. Maybe they want to talk to somebody at the company. Maybe they want to, uh, the, you know, automated purchase right there. I don't know how it's being done right now. 
Yeah, so it's going through, there's the leader in the space is called Fund America, and it's essentially an escrow agent. So okay. the way that the SEC has kind of uh, put a division and a Chinese firewall there is the portals can't actually hold on to your money. Okay. Like, so uh, unlike Kickstarter, where they actually hold on to the money and they actually make an arbitrage play on your money. Oh, yeah. They, they're, they're, while these things are being funded, they're getting interest on your capital. Um, so that's part of the upside for Kickstarter, by the way. Uh, but unlike those things, the SEC said, look, we're, we're really worried about, you know, portals cheating people. So what way we're going to separate that is none of the portals can hold the money. And so until those companies hit their funding minimum, the money is actually in, in escrow. And the escrow companies, there's a couple of them right now, but one of which is called Fund America is the leading one in the space. The CEO is Scott Parcell, and he's a great guy and a good guy to maybe interview if you want to learn more. Yeah. But um, basically what he does is they hold on to that capital until you hit your fully funded amount, and then it's released to the company directly. It never actually goes through the portal. So the portals are essentially the booking agents. They're the ones that hold all the offering information and talk about the value of the deal and what, what it looks like. Um, and where people would sign up, put in their bank account numbers and all the other pieces. But all that money goes into an escrow agent until that deal is funded. Okay. That makes that, more sense. More this sense. is why I have you on the show, dude. Well, and then that's also interesting, too, because these escrow agents like Fund America, it's really cool for the bigger offerings. So if you're a bigger company, you want to go raise out money or if you have a big investor base or following base you know we i talked about drew paxton's company where he has all those you know hundreds of thousands of people that follow his company it would be a no-brainer for him to raise money because they all love him they love his product um what's interesting is you can do what's called testing of the waters Hmm. so even before you file your sec documents as an internet marketer think about how valuable this is you can go out and actually put out to the market and say would you be interested in investing in this company, Stiletto Coffee? And people can click through if they like it and actually put down how much they're going to invest, their bank account information, all that stuff. And Fund America will actually soft circle that amount of money. So you get a pretty good sense of what your CTA what do you is. Mean, what do you mean soft circle? Explain that. For well, me. yeah, sorry. That's an investor term. Usually when you're getting a sense of how much money people are going to invest, you call it soft circling. Like, so... Uh, on a fund, I have $250,000 of a million already raised. There are people said expressed interest in it. Yep. You know, then that's what we call soft circle. But it basically is how many people have expressed interest in it that said, yeah, if you do this, I would commit this amount of money. Yep. I remember when I started my very first internet product, I soft circled the product. I just said, you know, would you, I wrote a sales page for a product that I thought about creating and ran some ads to it. And then it said step one to buy this for $67. Enter your email. You'll be taking the order form. And the order form said, hey, we're almost done. Coming soon. Mm-hmm. Thanks for your email. I didn't take any payment information, but now I knew, crap, there's people who want this. Yeah, that's exactly it, except to do the same thing for an investor, right? Are you saying that the, the, the people actually do something with their bank account? Like they actually get to the point where they put in their information there? Yeah, that's coming live right now from Fun America. And the reason that's valuable is before that, you know, basically people could come in and just put their name, their email and how much they'd be interested in investing. It's a good proxy for how much you're going to ultimately get from it. But as you know, people can fill out and say anything they want. If they're going to click through and actually put their bank account numbers in and all the other things, now no money gets transferred. But nonetheless, they're committing at a higher level to that investment. Um, And so you have a higher reliability towards the probability of that being the right amount of money. Mm. Okay. Then when it's done, they 
they send you the money. Is there any, uh, is there any big time, especially with Title Three oversight on how you spend the money? I mean, obviously you should be spending it on the business and not, you know, taking trips to Greece. Yeah, I'm, that's yet to be determined, and a lot of that's going to be goodwill. But now you keep in mind you have a fiduciary responsibility. Right. A lot of us entrepreneurs that you know have never had shareholders don't understand what a fiduciary responsibility is, and that's an important thing. Which means you have a responsibility to represent all shareholders, including yourself, on the same level of impartial decision making that you would. So, in other words, if you did something. That was in the best interest of you, i.e., going off to Greece. <laughs> you now have four or five, you know, or however many people in your in your um, capital structure. You know, it's up to five thousand people that now have been essentially defrauded from that, and actually have a, a liability to go against you because you're a director of your company. So there are strict rules about fraudulent behavior that go beyond what we call in corporate world the corporate veil which protects you and your governance of your company so that you can actually penetrate the corporate veil and go after an individual and hold them for fraudulent behavior. So if someone were to fraudulently default the company, the shareholders could go after that person and put a lien on them and their whole company and as well as our own personal assets if there was. So there's some strict protections around this, but you want to use it within good judgment is a good, fair way to look at it. Right, yeah. So when Steve Miller banned saying, go on, take the money and run, who is yeah. not referring to this. <laughs> well, you might, you might, but just keep running. Just keep run and run fast. And make sure you run to company and countries where they can't come back and extradite you back into the United States. So Exactly. Um, but, you know, this is going to be figured out. Uh, you know, the idea here, and I was at a, a conference recently where several of the SEC regulators were speaking, and there's a lot of visibility and transparency here because think about a normal angel deal where – it's one person representing this to, uh, you know, angels, and you don't know what someone said to one person that maybe is different than others. And, and in this case, it's all documented. It's all online. It's all seen by the crowd. And there's a lot of wisdom that we found in the crowd. And so far through this whole process over the last couple of years, there's been very little fraudulent behavior coming through on this thing. So wow. uh, we're really excited about it. But don't get me wrong. There will be oh, yeah. inevitable situations, and those will be heavily enforced. Yep. Oh, absolutely. Now, it's probably – is it safe to say that this is – is this throwing some big changes into the whole traditional world of angel investing right now? Yeah, you know, it is, and it's in the starting, but I'll give you a sense of it. Like the world that I'm living in and these Regulation A deals, uh, because I'm specifically investing in those type of deals, the bigger raises that go from five to 50 million, that's Title Four. Right now, it's been two and a half billion dollars of funds to date, um, through, uh, 2015. And, and what it's going to be in the next four years by 2020 is about 40 billion dollars. So, I mean, you're talking about going from 100 deals currently in filing for $2 billion of capital raises. There's 100 deals right now that are in filing for the SEC going up to 5,000 deals by 2020. So, this is becoming a disruptive nature. And actually, funny enough, Cuban um, two weeks ago said this is probably the biggest opportunity that he's seen because he's been a very big naysayer of venture capital dollars and what the effect of that is on the IPO market. As we know, a lot of these companies are not going out public successfully. And so they're stuck in this situation where they've received like Uber, 
Uber's received an incredible valuation at like $67 billion and, and multiple, multiple billions of dollars of capital, but they're stuck in a position where they can't go out public because they're almost overvalued. <laughs> this is essentially going <laughs> to eliminate. Yeah, the value would plummet. Yeah, exactly. And they don't want to go out because they're actually getting private money cheaper than they're getting what would public uh, money would come in because the public money is going to be what we call you know, an equilibrium price point where the market sets its actual natural equilibrium. And a lot of times, like we saw with GoPro, they went out public and then they dropped down pretty significantly, pretty fast because the market didn't see them as valuable as they initially went out. So this yeah, is a new and that's, to get out. Uh, that's interesting because then all the people who are, who have their money in Uber, they really can't cash out until it goes public. So it's a catch 22. Yeah, exactly. I think that's part of the thing that is something that's really fascinating about this, um, especially for the bigger deals, like the Regulation A. Um, if you're a company and a follower of Brad's and you meet certain criteria where you're going to raise 5 to $50 million, what it does is not only creates an opportunity to get money into your company, but it also 30% of your proceeds can be paid out to insider shareholders. So it creates a liquidity event that doesn't exist in the current marketplace for, for people. And that's actually where my company comes into play, Serenity Ventures, where, you know, we're funding these companies and using that liquidity event uh, to not only get them through this uh, process successfully and get them into the capital that they need, but then the companies become liquid in a way where they wouldn't in a normal angel or VC deal. So we get an opportunity to pull out some of our cash and reuse it for another company and help that next company get to the funding that they need. So okay, we're gonna back. Okay, we're gonna back up and slow that back down because yeah, so that sure. I fully understand it. Sorry, but, I, I realize that I know this stuff inside and out, but I'm not sure everyone else. Right. Does. Well, it's Maybe. easy to get. It's easy to get like steamrolled with. Oh wow, okay, he said a lot of good stuff. Let's let's repeat that. So, um, and this thus begins phase two of <laughs> the interview with David Metzler. So. Um, this is the other big part. So now we've, t- we've already talked about, listen, the opportunity is out there for the smaller, especially consumer driven business to raise up to a million dollars fairly easily, uh, in ways that did not exist before. So that's there. Now this is the part where you were talking about the other night at the mastermind that, um, I was really fascinated by. So let's back up. Mm-hmm. Let, and, and if it helps to use an example, like now let, we can assume we can still talk about stiletto coffee if we want, mainly because that just kind of makes me feel really cool that it's like, oh yeah, stiletto coffee is doing I, like, I think you're cool. Millions of dollars. Uh, so let's fast forward stiletto coffee, uh, coffee a year from now, yeah. right? Making you're good now money. A million dollars of uh, sales and okay. you're growing at, you know, a 30% growth rate month over month. 35. Right? Let's just say 35. 35. It's, it's bigger than 30. I like reality. So let's go to 40%. Yes. Now you're a company that legitimately with your growth rate has a very strong story for an investor to come into for a lot of investors to come into and also for a, a significant takeout, you know, from uh, acquisition down the road. And I mean, now Starbucks is legitimately talking about buying you for not just, you know, five, $10 million, but if you can continue on that growth path, because all these women are supporters of your brand, they might buy you for a hundred or $300 million. Right. And so now your valuation, let's just call it a hundred million dollar valuation as a fair market value is a potential a legitimate valuation for your company. So let's go with those assumptions. You're growing at 30. I like those assumptions. <laughs> that was good. Look, we see the future here, right? Um, so you're a 35% month over month growth rate 
and your valuation and fair market value looks like it's about a hundred million dollars. Now, the way the old world used to work. Wait, hold on, Kimosabe. Yes. Are these numbers like you said a million dollars in revenue with a thirty-five or forty percent growth rate? Yeah, I mean, if you're because I mean, I'm not going to get to a hundred million dollars k a month to your 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 uh, your revenue nine. That's probably that's something that could legitimately be claimed to be a hundred million dollar company, right? If you were doing those kind of numbers, Damn. let's just say. But um, well, these are arbitrary numbers that we're picking out. Sure. If your growth rate looks like that kind of number, yeah. any investor is going to want to. Well, get the into other it. question is how long can you keep that growth rate up? But it, that's Look, a topic for another. Discussion. I know you, so we'll keep, you can keep it up forever. At least yeah, that's exactly. The right. There we go. Oh. Uh, so here's the way it used to work. And this is what was so unfortunate about the old world as I was an angel in a VC is you would put money into your Stiletto company and I would put an investment of, let's say a million dollars into your company or 5 million. doesn't really matter. And on average, a VC and an angel is sitting on that investment before an IPO or an M&A for seven to 10 years. So, I mean, I put $5 million into your company and I get a certain proportion of your company, let's say 10% of your company, but you don't sell that company for seven to 10 years for a hundred million dollars. So I've got 5 million bucks into your company and just sit there for a long period of time. That's really hard on me as an investor and ultimately on the market, right? Because it doesn't make people want to put money in because they have to wait so long before they get that big payout, right? Mm -hmm. And so now we're looking at a scenario by which um, I can actually invest into companies with this regulation A offering where they're raising $50 million. And every year I can pull out as an investor 30% of my investment into that company. So if you raise $15 million, right, I can pull out $4.5 million and pay out existing investors and other shareholders. So that's a liquidity. So when event. you said I can pull out, who's pulling it out? Is it the owner of the company or the investor of the company? The Right. Okay, cool. So that means... I'll pull it out, which is a huge upside for this deal offering. Yeah. So owners can get liquidity that they couldn't get before. An investor can get liquidity that they couldn't get before. And, uh, or, you know, other shareholders that invested in the Regulation A shares themselves can get it out. So every year you can raise a Regulation A. So this year you can raise 50 million. Next year you can raise 50 million. The year after you can raise 50 million. And each year you can pull out 30% of that and pay out yourself, pay out your investors and create liquidity for everybody. Does that make sense? Yep. Um, let me, let me recap it to make sure I got it. So, um, so I filed all my documents. I'm about to do a Title IV Regulation A fundraise and mm-hmm. we raise, um, Let's just say, what, 10 million? Sure. Let's take 10 million. It's even, even numbers. Easier math, right? So I raised $10 million from, um, all these ladies who love coffee and love the mission. Now, you're saying that at, I can now raise that, but I can pull 30% of it out now immediately or after a year? Uh, immediately every every time you do one of these offerings so okay, so i raised 10 million proceeds. now i got 3 million dollars and i can either use that for uh to pay off early stage seed investors if i want yep. or i can use that for liquidity for um well actually i don't i don't need to pull if I don't need to pull it out to use it in the business because that's not pulling it out of the business. That's you, know, you use the seven million to keep your your math even, right? Yeah. Three million dollars can be pulled out to pay out to existing shareholders, 
VCs, angel dollars, or even existing Regulation A shareholders, right? Okay, but it has to be pulled out to pay existing shareholders. Yeah. I can basically pull it out and pay me if I'm the, like, if I'm the only major shareholder. Yep. I can pay me. If if you're the one who put in, I'm the sole owner, I own Mm -hmm. 100% of the stock, you give me $10 million, maybe, I don't know, I give you 10%. Right. Of the stock, right? Cool. So... If I pull that 30% out, that's all for me. That's not, you're, you don't get any of that back. No, that, that all goes to you. If you, cool. it, so every year you can pay out and, and play it. And the crowd would put in $10 million to your number and you would have valued the company at a hundred million dollars, right? So you said 10% is what you're giving up for 10 million. Yep. So that's the math, right? So of that, the $3 million you could pull out as long as you disclose it in the SEC documents and everyone understands what you're going to use the proceeds for. $3 million could be paid out to you as the only shareholder, to your example. And then the next $7 million would be your growth capital that you would use to buy inventory, fund the business expansion, and all so forth. So what you just highlighted is one of the huge advantages that's different than it's ever been before, that there's liquidity in these deals that are privately owned deals that's never existed before. It's, mm. fascinating. it's fascinating. It really is. Now, do I have to tell you... Dave, uh, thanks, David. When you put in the ten million, I'm going to pull three million out. Absolutely. So it, it, in your SEC documents, the fifty thousand dollars worth of documents in three months, you're going to go ahead and disclose to everybody exactly what you're going to be doing at all stages with your money, with your capital. It's very, very detailed, right? And so no one could be um, misled into believing that that money be used elsewhere. So it's very transparent. That's part of the reason the SEC looks at it. So, so I could take out that $3 million and put it in my own bank account and be cool with it. But I just got to, if I tell you that, mm-hmm. I, I should be using it for something else, right? Like ideally, as opposed to just fund money. No, I don't think so. Because people, well, you're selling 10% of your company to people that want to own 10% of the company because they see the upside of what that 10% is going to look mm-hmm. like. Yeah, that's so true. You're losing 10% of your ownership. And people are gaining 10% of your ownership and how you choose to use that is that's a good point close to them is you're giving them an option to get in on, on a really great deal in your company, Stiletto. So as long as you're allowing them to own a piece of this upside, that's not a bad deal at all for them because they know that your 40% or 35% growth month over month is going to continue forever in your Yeah. Game. And this is where I was confusing it. So if it was seed money, like early, early stage, like, Hey, I'm getting startup funds. Um, it might be a different story because you would want to invest like ownership in something total startup is not like you would want to know that your money is going to work for the company, not just going in my pocket. But once I'm filing one of these, cause you can't do this on the title. No, on the title three, three it, it, it's stricter rules and really it's use of capital is, is primarily for growth of your business. Right. Uh, yeah. So like you said, now I've established value in owning the business because there's, it's got a good revenue. It's got a good growth rate. And I demonstrate the, yeah, you want 10%. If you want 10%, I am going to take money out. I've got things to do with it. Um, there's, you know, yeah, I'm hookers value. and hookers and blowing grease that need the yeah. money. Exactly. And so I've created value. You want some of that value. I'm going to share that upside with you. And in exchange, as long as I'm disclosing it, you know that I'm going to take 30% out for me and or 
imagine this scenario. Ne- this year you raise $10 million, but next year, and, and, and people put that money in, they own what's called Regulation A shares. Next year you raise another $10 million, and 30% of that can go out, and those people get liquidity. Right. So if I invested this year into your company at $10 million and next year you go and raise it for, um, you raise another 10 million, but at 150 or $200 million valuation, I can actually pay out through, once again, $3 million to people, but they've now doubled their money. Right. So they can get liquidity again. So every year you're creating a liquidity event for people. And it really pays off for the early investors because they don't have to wait. And, that, and that's really what it boils down to is um, Get it, keep playing that out because that's what I do right now. You're seeing the upside of why I'm in, interested in this marketplace is. Yeah. Is that the, the old time investor or current, you know, prior to this, they would have to invest in just hope and pray that the, uh, that there's an exit, either purchase IPO or something to get their money out. And if not, they didn't get their money. The, uh, the way now is, yeah, I invest now and like next year, Especially if you, you know, or next year, if you do another capital raise, even as hopefully even higher, mm-hmm. you can take that money out, pay 30% to me. So depending upon how much you pay me, I mean, shit. Well, and here's the interesting thing. Um, if you know what public companies are, it's called float, which means yeah. how much the money is being traded every year. And what's interesting is it's young and it's starting out right now, but there's what's called a secondary market where there's float that's coming on where you can actually, if you say, Hey, I really like stiletto coffee. I want to own stiletto coffee. David, you got shares of stiletto coffee at you bought it at a hundred million dollars. It's now being valued at $200 million. Can I buy your hundred million dollar shares? And Essentially, that you can trade them on what is the equivalent of a NASDAQ or a New York Stock Exchange type equivalent where you can actually trade from your brokerage account to my brokerage account and buy stocks. And right now, there's about 100K of float on some of these companies that are going out, like uh, Elio Motors has about 100K. They went out and raised $17 million uh, and closed that this last uh, you know, couple months ago. And every day, there's about $100,000 of float where people are trading back and forth their shares just like they are on the public markets. Huh. Isn't that crazy? It's a, but, and just keep in mind, this is early, but where it will go is you'll have essentially a equivalency of the NASDAQ and New York sector exchange for these private companies, um, on, uh, you know, OC, you know, trading floor, um, where you can trade back and forth these regulation A shares. So there's liquidity along the way and that's a whole different ball game. Dude. Okay. So let me let <laughs> do another recap. It. Seen it now. This is, yeah, no, I totally see it. Uh, and this has been a, this is a, such a cool podcast. This is, it's very rare that I'm not talking about some, well, actually, I, I do know something about this. I used to be in finance. I was a financial advisor, uh, finance major and all this. So I get it. But this is all, uh, really cool to me. And it's, I'm getting little epiphanies. And I'm sure this is what you went through when you started really exploring this in the very beginning. But, um, Okay, so it's a math formula and you guys get it. That's why I love what your business is in the internet marketing world is, is you can actually see what it costs to acquire a user. And that is the most authentic, true form of valuing what a product's worth, right? Because you know how much someone's willing to pay for it as you spend on, on Facebook and so forth that people are going to, it's going to cost me $5 or $50 to acquire a user. And that lifetime value of the user is $200, right? In this marketplace, um, the, the comparables have shown that it's roughly, and this is a good number to note down, 5%. 5% of whatever you're going to raise, you're going to spend on your ad spend. 
So if I'm raising $10 million... Or, back hold on, hold on. Ad spend for what? To to drive to sales or to, try, to acquire investors? So, yeah. Imagine you're going to put out on Facebook that buy Stiletto Coffee, invest in Stiletto Coffee. The share price is $2.33 per share. And you're going to have to spend essentially 5% of whatever you're going to go raise on your ad spend. So if I'm raising $10 million, I'm going to send, assume that in order to get that amount of money in, I'm going to have to spend $500,000 of ad spend on Facebook, on Google, on LinkedIn, in order to get that amount of money in from investors to get to that total number. Okay. So now you can see it. It's a math formula. And keep in mind what this means. And this is why I'm fascinated about it, is the new investment banks of the world you know, the Goldman Sachs the Merrill Lynch's, all these guys that had been underwriters in the past as they, you know, take their offerings when you go public and send it out to all these investors. They're now moving towards guys like you that are the internet marketing guys that are going to have the ability to take a company like this that wants to go out and raise $10 million. They're going to hand you $500,000 and say, get me all the investors I need to get the $10 million in and sell my product to those investors. And it's going to be roughly about 5% of the total raise. Where did that number come from? Is that a... Uh... It's comparables that have gone out so far and they did they did an analysis on how much it's costing right now to take these companies out through the... And it's about 5% of raise is what it's costing in order to advertise to get the raise. Okay, cool. Exactly. So now it's an ad spend and that's where I come in is we're loaning companies the money to cover their ad spend to get the money in as part of the value add of the services. Not only do I add expertise and knowledge and all the things that go along with, you know, having spent a lifetime in venture and investment banking, but also we're giving these companies money to cover their costs of filing the documents and the ad spend and helping them get out to market successfully so that they can get the money in. And when they do, after they get the money in, we're pulling out some of that cash to then go invest in another company to go do that. And that's what my fund, Serenity Ventures, is doing. Okay. Awesome. And this is, this is one, this is really where we switch over to what you're doing and the, um, and not just explaining the nature of what's possible out there. So this is, um, let's stick with the, let's stick with the examples. Stiletto Coffee is now like, all right, I'm ready. I want to raise $10 million. David, I want to use Serenity Ventures to help me do this. Uh, what's the first thing we're going to do? I want to raise 10 million. We're going to need about 5% of that, right? Yeah. And so let's do the math here. Um, and I wish I could do a screen share. I'd show you a slide analysis of it, but, um, you can, show, it, you can just screen share. Nobody else will see it. <laughs> well, we don't want to give away all of our secrets, That's right? That's true. Um, hey, let me see. How do, where's the screen share? Uh, over. Plus button. You can are, tell you a, are you on a Mac? Oh, I, I see, I see, yeah, I'm on a Mac and I see it um, I think down here. Um, all right. So, wait, I just saw it. Where's the plus button? Uh, hover over the, hover oh, over the. Can you see me now? Oh, I, I see. Yeah, perfect. Let's um, see. Okay. So let's see if this works. Can you see my screen? No, not yet. Did you hit share screen? I think I did. Um, you start. finance right. guys. Yeah, yeah no. there we go. Hey, there's a there looking go. guy. On. Um, I, I feel like I'm in your world now. All right. So it, hopefully you can see a screen right there. And let me see if I can make it a little bit bigger. Um, this is an example from my investor deck where people are putting money into my fund uh, because of the returns that we're giving them. And so as you can see here, uh, hovering over it, it's basically $50,000 worth of cost that Stiletto is going to have to go through to file your document. 
it's going to take you three to four months to get your documents together. So that's part of the assumption that we're going to be covering that cost for you so that you don't have to spend the money. We're going to loan you $50,000 and we're also going to loan you $100,000. You can see on my screen again, that's going to cost you to get to a minimum. So if you're raising $10 million, you would file with the SEC and this say... This is based on what ra- size raise here? Let's say you, these are arbitrary numbers because you can set this to this. Oh, but this is of a, of a million. Let's just keep with your numbers. A million. I, I want to raise a million. Well, no, let's, let's keep it. I'm, you're, see, uh, you can see your total raise is $10 million, but gotcha. you have to go to the SEC and say, what's your minimum amount that you're going to raise? And you're going to say, our minimum amount is going to be a million dollars. And as soon as you hit your minimum amount, the money goes from the funding escrow into the stiletto coffee. Oh, right? uh, okay, cool. Yeah. So if I tell, if I'm trying to raise 10 million and I only raise $800,000, you don't hit your funding minimum. I don't, I don't even get any of the money. And no money goes to you. It all goes back to the, to the investors. They don't lose anything. It doesn't come anywhere. And yeah. it just sits in Fund America's bank account. But so, it's minimum. So, and then you're going to do the, you're going to loan me 50,000 to get my reggae filed. Yep. Then you're going to loan me 100,000. To get to the $1 million, right? Yeah, exactly. To the $1 minimum. So you're loaning me 10%. uh, I'm figuring in the the initial spend here that there's the first 100K is going to cost a little bit more than the subsequent uh, 400K that you're going to do, right? Because on average, it'll be 5%. But as you know, in internet marketing, the momentum is always in the first uh, early dollars, right? So Yeah, I'm tracking now. So. uh, essentially going to double up and just make sure you have plenty of capital to do what you need to do. Then make sure you hit your your minimum, which in this case, we took an arbitrary number of a million dollars and said that's our minimum. Okay. Now, you loan me... Thing is um, after you hit your minimum, the money goes into Stiletto's Coffee. And what you can then do is use the proceeds from the, min- the hundred mil- the, sorry, the million dollars. You can use the proceeds from that million dollars that came in from the crowd funding it to continue to fund your ad campaign. So as you can see on my slide, the next 400K can actually come out of ad spend that was uh, from the proceeds. As soon as you cross the minimum, you can do it. So you no longer need me at that point. You can actually take over from the actual fundraising that you've done and take over your ad spend and continue until you get to your fully raised $10 million amount. Okay. So, and then how are, what are the, what are the terms of the loan? So you're, you're in essence upfront, you're loaning $150,000. Just a little coffee because yeah. I believe in your company. I see that you're yeah. running it and you're, you're a solid executor and an operator. And I believe in your revenue, add, you know, your growth rates and so forth. And I've gone through diligence on your company. And I believe enough in that to say that I, that I think you guys are going to be able to go out and raise the money. And based on your CPA, you've, you've successfully gone out and raised it. Cause here's where it becomes where you and I can do it is this is the little known fact that makes my business work really well mm-hmm. is while you're filing the 50 K, remember I called that testing of the waters. Mm. Remember that uh, you can actually yep. go see how much people are going to soft circle, which is how much they're willing to invest. Well, we can go out and spend 25 K while you're filing and your sec documents are going through that process and get a sense of what your CPA, your cost per acquisition is for your members. So we'll spend 25 K while you're simultaneously, you know, filing the documents to get a sense of what your ad spend is going to be. And if it's within a certain bandwidth of what I see is tolerable, in other words, 
it looks like you're going to spend 10% of my 100K and get to your 100 million, uh, your million dollars, then I'm going to go ahead and give you the rest of the money. Mm. And if it's not, you don't want to go out and do it. So we both go away without losing a lot of money, right? Yeah, and cut your losses. You're not ready for it. And so we both cut losses. So we use that 25K as a proxy to get a sense of what the actual CPA is going to be. So I don't end up going into a deal and losing money and you don't end up going into a deal in a situation where you're taking money in that you shouldn't be taking it. Right. So we'll now what do you, now what are the terms of that loan? So what do you make out of it? Yeah. So you got to keep in mind, um, we're asking for 7% on our investment. So okay. I'm investing 150 K into you and it's going to be six to nine months, you're going to pay me 7% interest over the course of that loan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're going to give me uh, share coverage into your company. So when you do hit your fully funded amount, you would pay me back an additional you know, amount of money back on top of it. In our case, it's 100% uh, warrant coverage for it. So essentially for every 150K I'm putting into a company, um, if they're fully funded and if we succeed as a, as a, um, a venture firm to help you get what you need, the 10 million in, then we'll take out 300 K of which 150 was our principal. So, and then if everything works well, you'll double your money in that six, nine month period. Yeah. That's part of the reason it's such a great upside for our firm. Yeah. And it's a great upside for your firm because keep in mind, what did you raise your money at? We remember the numbers we went back to. You raised $10 million on a $100 million valuation, right? What is 150K, which is what you're giving me up in share counts when you're, you're essentially giving me back 150K back on shares on, you know, it's like less than 1%, right? Yeah. And, so and are you, maybe I missed this. Are you actually staying as a part? Like, are you getting shares that you hold on to? So. So this is the way the fund works is um, the, the investors put in the money into uh, our fund, fund one, mm-hmm. and uh, the 150K comes out of that investment dollars into it. 100% of the money the investors put in go into these deals. And once they get their money back, 100% of their, their principal back and their interest back on that principal, then we split the proceeds of those share coverage, the, the second 150, 50-50 with the investors. So my firm, Serenity Venture Partners, keeps 50% of that. In that case, that example would be 75. 75, yeah. Uh, we would keep 75K and 75K would go back to the investors as part of their upside for their fund, right? So the investors get a fantastic deal, 100% of their money back, 7% interest, and they're getting essentially 50% warrant coverage. And then Serenity Ventures for doing the deal and being successful in delivering the, the funding to the marketplace we'll get 75K of the upside of that. And so for that, I can choose to do what I want with that. In some cases, some companies... You could roll it into the company. In other cases, I'll pull out the the 75K. Okay, so that's not something going in that... It's like you're loaning the 150,000, you're getting 7% plus one, five, whatever percent of the valuation, right? You're not building in a... You're not... Serenity Ventures does not be- automatically become a shareholder from day No, we, we, we choose on company-by-company company basis what gotcha. we do with 50% of that. In some cases, we'll leave it in. In other cases, we'll pull it back out because we uh, 
we want the liquidity. It's up to us, yeah. and it depends on the company and where we see yeah. the, the future of the company you going. Just may wa- you just may want the cash flow, and you're cool with that. What's your yeah. downside? So the investors always get their money out. They get 100%, they get their interest, and they get their 50% out always. And then from our perspective, Serenity Ventures as a management company can choose to keep it in or pull it out depending What's your downside protection on that? So if you put that in, uh, we, we spend $50,000 to get the, uh, filings done and then you put in, um, 25,000 to test the water or you put in the full 150 and we don't meet our minimum raise. Um, do you have any yeah. downside protection? Well, yeah. I mean, we're looking at individual case by case basis. If you're pre revenue, it's different than if you're post revenue. Um, so it just really becomes the specific, but what we're looking at doing is protecting our investors money. Right. And so this is a fund and that we make sure that the fund gets a hundred percent of their proceeds back, their principal back, 7% interest back on, on the deals and their 50%. And then after that, as long as they're a hundred percent made whole, then it comes down. So if we have a failure rate that comes out of our 50% of the upside. So, um, okay. But like, but so if you just a great deal, so and it kind of depends on who you're investing up front because there may not be much collateral. Are there any personal guarantees that the owner is making towards you or anything like that? You know, it depends on the, uh, on once again, the company by company basis, you know, uh, our ideal is not to take money from people that can't, you know, get it out. So that's the 25 K. So if you really look at it, we're not going to fund the 50K of filing documents and the 100K beyond that for, for things. If the 25K initial dollars don't show a CPA that looks like we're going to get the million dollar minimum reach. Yeah, good, yeah, good so, point. But- so 25K is really our downside. So maybe we miss, let's say worst case scenario, we have four of our, you know, seven investments in our first fund. You know, 25Ks didn't indicate a CPA that was interested. We put 100K into work to these companies. That first 100K didn't look like it returned any capital. And that was our loss ratio that my Serenity Ventures would take, not our investors. And then from there, you know, several of these companies would hit their minimum and would get fully funded. And that would be upsized protection uh, that would make up for the 100K that did go into those companies that didn't get successfully closed. So we we're minimalizing our loss by the 25K. And in some cases, yeah, if, if a company, I'd rather not do personal guarantees. I'd rather have a company that, you know, put up the 25K themselves to cover the cost. That's not a lot of money, you know, and if you can't come up with 25K, then, you know, you shouldn't probably be in this game. And yeah, exactly. I don't want to fund you if you can't do that because I might be putting a company out to market that's not a credible company. And yeah, I don't want to you do don't that. want to do that. Yeah. So it all depends on who you're dealing with. But that's cool. Yeah. So, I mean, it realistically, and we know a lot of internet marketing guys, the 25K would be like 10K to Mike Keeney's, you know, who's one of the best marketing guys I've ever met. He'd create a video for you. We'd go out and spend 15K on your, you know, ad spend. And between those two things, we get a pretty good lift test of this is going to fund or not. And I would normally, if the company didn't have any revenue, make the person put that money up themselves just because they got to have some skin in the game. Right. Okay. So let's talk about how we make money. Let's collaborate. Let's see what, let's hunt this rabbit and see what uh, this looks like. So from your side, what you find a company and you say, um, Here's what I just want to explore with you all the little opportunities lie. You find a company here, actually, because um, I'm only doing the, the funding side in Serenity Ventures in the current form. But there's a whole agency side. You remember that guy, the guys I'm giving that 100K to? 
Those are agencies that are creating the ad spend and spending that money. There's an upside for that because I'd rather give you, Brad, my 100K and know that you're going to spend it wisely because you're one of the best internet marketing guys I've ever met than go give it to some XYZ agency company. So that's, there's a whole play there. I mean, do and because you're, and because you're loaning the money, you can, um, direct. Which agency to go with? With, yeah. I mean, if, if they're amazing at what they do, you may want to use them, but okay, cool. So you find a company and you're like, Hey, we need some marketing power behind here. And I, I guess that's not tremendously different than what they call like a, what is it? They call it a marketing bench for a VC fund or what? Yeah, I mean, uh, that that's exactly it. It's uh, Some of our guys have done it. Uh, another way to look at it is really um, someone compared it to this. One of the guys that wants to invest my fund recently was um, the infomercial market. Um, so where you're putting you know money into these products that are consumer-driven products, because keep in mind, this doesn't really work for a business-to-business company. Uh, B2B companies aren't really relevant, but a consumer product where you're putting 25K, test the water, see if there's a market appetite for it, which is then a good proxy to say that this is a good product. And then if it's a good product, then you would then go ahead and automatically fund the rest of the 150 necessary to continue to drive forward on it. So, you know, it, 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 that's a, probably a fairly easy comparison to make. But and you were saying guys, for the infomercial you know, market, money. when you meant the infomercial market, you're talking about people who are selling their products via like direct response TV infomercials? Yeah, I mean, those, as you know, those guys up in LA did, a, you know, a very strong QVC home shopping network. A lot of times they got into the business of actually funding these early companies because if they tested well, they would actually have a strong upside for product reception and would make mm-hmm. millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars, right? And if they mm-hmm. didn't test well, then they would pull it back and, you know, their loss is 25K. But if they did test well and they put 150K into these companies and blew it up, um, there's a huge upside for them. So that's the kind of comparison basis of what we're, what we're seeing ourselves to some degree as in this thing. So cool. Okay. So then, um, yeah, I, oh, I see exactly what you're saying now. Yeah. Comparing to, yeah, the people who, in essence, loan money to prove that out. That's awesome. Okay. So there is the, the reactive opportunity, which is you come across a cool business. It needs, it needs some marketing firepower, ad spend, and, um, you know, in essence, you're creating like an investor funnel. Mm-hmm. Here's, you know, here, here's who, you know, add to the page to the build up the, build up the no like and trust factor. Cool. So what is a proactive thing that, like, for instance, I can either keep my mind, my eyes open for you, uh, or for us. What is something that, um, so I, so I'm not like, I don't, I don't like to sit around I'll and wait for opportunities. Companies that would be interesting for me to, to talk to, right? Yeah. Companies that, um, have already existing, um, customers that have a significant customer base and or a significant following on social media or existing funnel that's already set up that says, look, Let's go file the SEC documents. I'll give you money to add to your, your funnel. And in so doing, we have a fairly high confidence ratio because you already have a good product out in market that we can sell this thing and um, get investors to want some of the upside because they're already buying your product. So if there's an existing product out there that's working, um, that's a pretty good, um, you know, idea of a, w- a way that, that 
investor can get liquidity, right? He can pull out his 30%, pay himself out. I'm sorry, the, the owner can get liquidity. We'll invest into the company. We'll get liquidity. The agency side would be paid out for fees to, you know, running the dollars. So there's a lot of wins all across the thing. And then my investors in my fund are incredibly happy because they're getting with success, a large upside. So that would be an example. A company that doesn't have uh, the sales funnel, but it has an existing, you know, product that you see as potential could be an interesting um, component to it too, to go out and test the market on. Um, and yeah, I, like I could easily as well see, yeah, companies that like exactly what you said, they have a good product, maybe not a, a great sales funnel in place and, um, mm-hmm. build that up, tag team. Because you guys, you have a lot of internet marketers that follow you on this podcast, right? I hope so. So think about it. I like to think it's a bunch of hot Instagram models (laughs) that they they just want to follow me because they love the sound of my voice. And also happen to be fitness models on the side, but they do that because they they want to keep themselves in shape, right? Yes. It is likely a bunch of internet marketing nerds, but I like to think of it as the Instagram model. So let's keep on going with that. All right. So here's the thing that's interesting is they'll understand this thing. Once you file the 50K for SEC documents, it's essentially you get a license to hunt, if you will, and add a new upsell funnel to it, right? Hey, buy my product is one part of your funnel, right? Buy this upsell part of my product. I'll give you this plus this, as you know, as part of your upsell. And now all of a sudden, if you file this SEC documents and you have a good funnel, or even if you're fixing the funnel, now all of a sudden you got a third thing, which is invest $2,000 into my company. You own a piece of this upside. It's as simple as that, right? So your internet guys that have products that are either they're fixing the funnels, as you mentioned, but they're actually got sales They're you know, or they want to add it to that as an upside funnel, you know, for them, that's a new way of making and selling a product. Does that make Ooh, sense? It does. It does. Yeah. I mean, you could literally put that right in the upsell sequence. Now, granted, it's not like, Hey, one click upsell. I'm sure, but you're letting them know after they purchase. Hey, you want to share this on social media? Do you want to own a piece of this? Because here's the other cool thing is you can, it doesn't preclude you from giving away Kickstarter like upsells. Totally. So like I can, if you have a cool, all right, let's go back to my last company, the fitness company, right? Mm-hmm. Buy, um, invest $2,000 into my uh, fitness company and I'll give you six months of the membership for free. Yeah. That's, you know, cause I can do the math on that. Yeah. And, and that's something you control. It's especially if it's high margin, if it's whatever, invest in this. Not only are you going to get shares, right. but you'll get, you know, yeah, some, Something else. Yeah. Yeah, or an Instagram mastermind or an Asaraf or guys that we know. That like like Drew, Drew could do like win a date with Drew. I'll go, out, I'll go out with you. <laughs> yeah. He's like, look, I'll personally date you if you come in, right? Uh, but in all seriousness, probably something illegal probably about good that. Thing, one, and yeah. he could give a year's worth of supply alongside an investment uh, to his company. It's a part of like the equity. It's the same thing as Kickstarter, but you're adding an additional layer to it. Dude. I know. It's big. I knew I asked you on this show for a reason. Uh, this is cool. Dude, I got like several <laughs> pages of notes here. Uh, okay, so I really like that. What about, so this is top of mind because I just interviewed a guy the other day and I've always been interested in this. Uh, and for my current listeners, 
the show should be out by the time I'm talking about this, but just interviewed a guy named Ace Chapman and Ace specializes in buying businesses, every uh, offline businesses, you know, as well as online businesses, e-commerce businesses, uh, you know, kind of you name it. He's, I don't know, probably bought 50 different businesses and he teaches people how to do it as well. Um, and he's always out there looking for, you know, businesses to purchase. And, uh, my friend and a former, and a, and a former guest on the show named Luke Havard also, you know, buys businesses, sometimes does consulting for equity, helps them raise liquidity in different ways. Um, he, he's absolutely going to love this episode. But, um, so if somebody's out there looking to purchase a business, Wow, you just stumbled across a new thing that um, is absolutely the right way to go. Right. Here's an interesting thing. Let's say you wanted to buy Stiletto Coffee, right? Yeah. Um, it's like a, is it, are we going to do a leverage buyout here? You can. Uh, but here's the thing. you got to have a definitive agreement before you can go crowd raise the money necessary to go buy it. Yeah. So you and I would, if, before I go out and say, hey, I'm buying Stiletto Coffee, I would have to have a definitive agreement that says as soon as the proceeds meet, the amount necessary to buy your company, let's say it's $10 million. Uh, as soon as I acquire $10 million, there's a definitive agreement that you will transfer the assets over for that amount of $10 million. As soon as we have that definitive agreement in place, we can go crowdfund that capital. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Bra- my, I think some brain matter just came out of my ears. Um, Here's another one. Hold on. Let me back that up. What about franchise? Go ahead franchises like a lot of our people know franchises right a lot of people don't have the money to buy the fifty thousand dollars or two hundred fifty thousand dollars title three is a perfect example of a franchise like opportunity where you can go and buy a franchise right it's not as good for an exit opportunity because it's harder to sell but you can go raise the fifty or hundred thousand or two hundred fifty thousand dollar franchise fees necessary to buy into and get your your company up and running Huh. Okay. Let me, uh, let, let me recap what I understand there. Uh, the previous example, I find a business I want to buy. Let's say it is a supplement business, mm-hmm. right? E-commerce supplement business. Cause why not? And I come to an agreement that, uh, to, to buy this company outright costs $5 million. Yep. All right. Values cash. He'd sell it tomorrow for cash for 5 million. Are you saying that I could come to an agreement, I could have a contract with him, whether it's like an option contract to buy or something like that to where it's in writing that says I have the right to purchase that, but then that allows me to go file? Yep. Because you're using, you're using his financials. So if you're, you're buying it for $5 million to say he's got a certain amount of EBITDA he's putting off every year. And I have an equitable interest in it because I have an option on the business. Right. And so you, you have an option is essentially transfer of management, right? I mean, really is what it is. And so as soon as that's done, he's been, he's been bought out. You own the thing. You're using his financials. They'd have to be audited and set up and put through the same amount of SEC filings and so forth. But, you would use his financial plus a definitive agreement in your PPM, your private placement memorandum. And then people would be looking at his financials when they decide to invest in the company, knowing that you're going to be the new operator of it. Dude. Dude. I know. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's I didn't really, out, I'm, but you can I'm see so- why this is going to be so big. 
I'm so glad we had this conversation, but I'm so pissed because I've got so many other things uh, on my plate, and this is the sexiest. Uh, this is really, really cool. Um, well, uh, you and your followers can all put a little bit of money into my thing. I'm really specifically, a lot of my guys right now are finance guys that are attracted to the terms because they're so good, but yeah. I'd love to have some guys in there that are internet marketing guys that want to throw in some cash into these deals and put them into my fund because then I can use them to vet every one of these deals that I'm looking at off of it, right? So imagine the, the talent that I could have with the, all the guys that follow us in one of our investment funds looking at every deal that comes out. I mean, I'm yeah, getting... Yeah, so you don't just have mom and pop. These are like smart money investors who like, oh yeah, well, when you buy this, we'll take a look at the marketing. We'll see what needs to happen to grow it to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah, right now, my guys that are funding it are like guys that put money into Lending Club and big big plays out there, right? That are multi-billion dollar things. They get the finance terms of it and they want the deal because of the finance terms. I'd also equally like to have, you know, people in there that are smart money from the internet marketing side. That's what I'm talking about. Smart money. I'm talking about the uh, smart marketer. Finance guys call themselves smart money, uh, but it's all depending on perspective, isn't it? Exactly. Guys in this world, smart money. I'm thinking smart marketer money. Yeah. I wonder if smartmarketermoney.com exists. <laughs> I'm going to go I buy it. TM. Son of a bitch. Um, but yeah, shit, dude, this just head exploding. Okay. Yeah, so that's why it's such a great deal for them and versus everyone getting into the industry, which inevitably a lot of internet guys are going to be coming here because there's going to be a shit ton of money going into it and a lot of opportunity to, to capitalize. I'd rather consolidate those guys into one element and a one vehicle and that we become the most powerful vehicle in the industry to really be the go-to de facto, you know, underwriter for these deals. And you come to us because we got every good internet marketer guy in the deal and we know that we're going to get you launched and successfully out and raised. Yeah. That's be unstoppable. Really smart. Because now I mean, because uh, yeah, otherwise it's like, hey, listen, we got a bunch of money and we're just going to invest money and hope you do something right. It's like, no, we're going to invest. We're going to do this and we're going to, we got the people behind it to make sure that it's a success. We'll be the new Goldman Sachs of the world. Dude. Yeah. Okay. So, um, let's wrap this up. This has been amazing. By the way, I'm, you're going to come to the boardroom mastermind in July. I'll send you the exact dates. Are you going to be around in July? Yeah, I'd love to come. Uh, I'd love to have you present on this shit. Back from Europe, I think, uh, late June. So, um, yeah, I'd love to, love to come. Yeah, I think it's like July 14th. Um, if anybody's, if any of my listeners are interested, uh, it's really by invitation only, but you can apply. Just go to theboardroommastermind.com. But yeah, David, I'd love to have you there. And I think there's some people in there that you would, uh, blow some minds. But, um, okay. So for my listeners, Number one, I see your screen still. So I know there's a, you have a pitch deck there. I don't know if that's publicly available. If you want to make that available for download on our site, you can, you do not have to. No, this uh, is for, this is for sophisticated players that are either in internet or finance business that would want to get in that could invest, you know, probably 25 grand minimum into a fund. As I mentioned, the terms of the fund would be you get 100% of your money back. You get seven percent interest, and you get fifty percent of the success fees uh, of that money. So, cool. Yeah. Well, send that to me privately. I won't share it with anybody yeah. else. Uh, our, our our internet guys want into it, so I'll circle it all around to our mastermind. And then, yep. if any guys that are listeners, they can email you or me, and we'll let them in. Because, like I said, as long as they got smart money, quote unquote, uh, we'll let them in. 
Okay, cool. The um, other thing, if it, for people who are listening, if they are still listening after an hour and a half, then they're awesome. And if they want to know more, if they want to get involved, um, and involved means A, they can um, invest money with you to be a part of Serenity Ventures to cash in as well. If they... They, they may have a company that they, they're like, shit, I want to raise money. I want to be one of the investments, right? Yep. Cool. I can already think of, ooh, shit, dude. Mm-hmm. Huh. For, for this guy, I mean, for, for the early stage people, um, or for, you know, this title for, can, did you say it can be pre-revenue or early, early stage? It, it can be uh, pre-revenue and just keep in mind that your revenue is going to be directly proportionate to the valuation you're going to be able to get. Cool. So I've got a pitch deck. Hey, Mike Brunette, are you listening, buddy? So um, he's a he's a listener to the show and I've done a call with him and uh, he's going to love this. But um, the long story short, without going into too much detail, he's raised. Uh, he's got a $50,000 angel I believe it's angel commitment, but that's predicated upon him raising another 50,000. So when he can raise the other 50,000, this one kicks in and he's looking for funding right now. And he's got an app based business. looks pretty good. Uh, I've seen the deck real serious, smart guy. Um, there may be something there because he's already, he's already moving forward. He's got his valuations. He's got all that other stuff. Yeah, I mean, he, for him, he could put it up on a portal. That's not going to be Serenity Ventures specifically because it doesn't, unless you're raising a large enough money, it just, the cost doesn't make sense. But, oh, uh, that's right. Cause yeah, if he's rolling me raising like a hundred thousand, that's not like title a title three. One. Be perfect, right? He can get, he's got 50K committed. It would be a very sexy, uh, you know, offering to say there's essentially matching funds for the, you know, the next 50K, right? That's really what it is, right? Yep. Is so he can put that up on a portal and pretty quickly get friends and family and others to come in and just interested investors as well to come in and, and invest knowing that there's already 50k committed or matching, however you want to describe it. That's huge. Yeah. Um, and, and then, you know, I mean, we're really bigger place that are for Serenity Ventures. I mean, you, this is, it's expensive to do this. Uh, you know, 50k is, is even, uh, pretty you're right though. Yeah. People. And then, you know, these are bigger companies and a specific criteria, but if you meet that criteria, you have a big, you know, customer base or you have a good selling funnel. Yeah. Send it over our way. We'll look at it and you can help me look at it and we'll just do the deals for them and make sure that they're successful. Sweet. Um, okay. So how do people get a hold of you? Uh, you can email me at David Metzler. Um, actually uh, just go to, uh, David M at serenity com. Serenity. Is that V as in Victor? Victor. Papa in my air traffic control days, uh, coming Papa. Back. yeah. So serenity venture partners, BP, uh, com, And that, that'll come to me, David M at serenity, com, And we'll take a look and work together with you. That's great. Uh, man, I am really glad we did this. Really, really Yeah, this glad. is fun. I mean, I love dealing with smart people. And as you can see, this is a, now a wedding, as I said in our internet mastermind. I finally figured out why I'm in this group. <laughs> like, I'm a venture investment scaling business kind of guy. And all of a sudden now I can see the internet play here. It's just as strong. It's a venture meets internet, right? Uh, play here. And that's the people that do this are going to be the rulers of the, the future finances. I agree with you. And one of the things I actually really like about it is that, um, 
for me and why, why my curiosity is huge is, so for the past, oh shoot, since 2000, I guess eight, I've been doing internet marketing eight years and all types of marketing, but internet especially. Uh, prior to that, I was in finance, most of my, sales and finance most of my life with a degree in finance and economics. Um, you know, work, you know, sold stocks, bonds. I understand it. <laughs> You're not just a pretty face sometimes. Not just a pretty face. But, um, that's, that's one of the things I do like about it as well is that it, it kind of also marries my two pieces of past experience together. Um, and my head is swimming with potential opportunities here. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, man, we will, we will wrap this up to my bacon wrapped business listeners. Um, I fully expect you to email me. Like I'm dead serious. If you're still listening, email me, ask Brad at bacon wrap business and say, Brad, that was effing awesome. Loved it. Oh my gosh, no other podcast hosts talk about this. They're all talking about BS. You're the best and you're handsome. Say that, please. Like, <laughs> make me happy. <laughs> and, or to say it in a better than, better than uh, emailing me, put it in the uh, iTunes review. Um, but if you do have any questions, concerns, if you've got any ideas, um, share those uh, with me at askbrad at bacon wrapped business. And if you are, I mentioned earlier, if you are potentially interested in uh, taking a look at the Boardroom Mastermind, go to theboardroommastermind.com and um, let me know what you're trying to achieve. I am. Uh, I was on another interview earlier today, dude, and one of the things I said, he goes, what's been one of the secrets of your success? And I said, it's the mindset that I don't have to know everything. I just have to know the people who do. And... That's what I absolutely love. I mean, we have the ability now to, because I know you, because you know me, we know other people. There's a lot of money that can be made in this world. Yeah. And, and doing it ethically is something that I'm interested in, right? Bringing these companies to, to market that don't have funding so people don't end up like I did, right? Short uh, on and uh, short on capital because someone didn't fall through with a commitment. Absolutely. All right, man. Well, this has been really, really cool. And uh, we will be talking here real soon. I guarantee. own tea. All right. A lot of love. And uh, thanks for having me on here. What a cool show. And to be around smart, good looking people like yourself. It's well, just... thank you. All right, brother. We'll talk, right, to, you talk to you soon. Bacon Rat Business over yeah. and out.